0: reading this morning from Philippians 2, 1 through 14. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you <clears throat> to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among the stars in the sky, so that you may become blameless and pure. and rejoice with me. God bless the reading of His word. Good morning. It's good to be here at the Johnson Street Congregation. Um, apparently, you've started a new program where, when you place membership, you have two weeks until you have to deliver your first sermon. I find that a little odd, um, but we will uh, we'll move forward. Um, no, seriously, uh, Tommy is getting to do some good work this weekend and, and be with family and visit a dear friend of his yesterday that's been ill, and so it's truly a pleasure to be here, and, and if you've never been in full-time ministry, sometimes it's very difficult to get away. There's lots of occasions and things that go on, and you, you just can't get away, so it, it, it's exciting to get to fill in for him just to give him that opportunity this morning, um, My name is Tanner Fain. If you've read your bulletin, Uh, I I grew up in the great flat wind blowing plains of Lubbock, Texas. Uh, Went to Lubbock Christian University. Uh, I've served as a teacher in and throughout Texas, a principal, and I've also done some youth ministry at the Graham Street congregation uh, in Stephenville, Texas, right down the road. Um, All that to say, God is good. Um, I want to I want to start there this morning. He uh, he is surprising. Just when you think things are supposed to go a certain way, they, they completely turn around and 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 God still uses us in amazing ways. Um, as he mentioned, I'm a, a 14N student, which means I'm an intelligence uh, officer at the base. Some of my classmates are here to uh, support me this morning. Don't ask them any questions. They don't have to kill you. They just don't know the answer because we're still learning. So, um, uh, we're still in that learning phase, but uh, I want to tell some stories this morning. And I don't want to tell stories because they're entertaining. I want to tell you some stories that have meaning and that have value, that you can take with you and partner those with the scriptures that we're going to go through this morning and hopefully aid you on your Christian walk. First story starts... On a hot, hot afternoon in Texas in August, a young man is sitting on his back porch. If you know anything about Texas in August, nobody wants to be sitting on their back porch in the afternoon. It's hot, it's humid, tears just running down his face. Um, The decision before him, as the title of the sermon says, so difficult, He can hardly stand it. A preponderance of information and and, and situational circumstance has been put before him. Trust has been violated. Um, The world has been turned upside down. Two months before that, this young man is driving down the road headed to work and he's been in God's word and, and he's excited. He's been he's been newly engaged and just all the little flutters and butterflies and heart palpitations that happen in that exciting time and and uh, he has this thought. He says, God no, uh, know this is kind of interesting praying on the way to work but uh, Lord, if this whole upcoming marriage thing is is not what you want, I think it is, but if it's not what you want, would you show me? Because all I want to do, all I want to do is serve you. All I want to do is be in your will. Two months later, that young man is sitting on his back porch, and he's having to decide, is this marriage going to happen or is this marriage not? We're going to leave him on that back porch for a little while, and uh, we're going to continue on to another story. Some of you have probably heard this before. Um, It's a good one. As she stood in front of her fifth grade class on the very first day of school, she told the children an untruth. Like most teachers, she looked at her students and said that she loved them all the same. Yeah. However, that was impossible because there in the front row, slumped in his seat, was a little boy named Teddy Stollard. Mrs. Thompson had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he did not play well with the other children. That's code in teacher language. That his clothes were messy and that he constantly needed a bath. In addition, Teddy could be unpleasant. Sometimes that can be an understatement. It got to the point where Mrs. Thompson would actually take delight in marking his papers with a broad red pen, teachers, we've all been there, making bold X's and putting a big F on top of his papers. At the school where Mrs. Thompson taught, she was required to review each child's past records. And she put Teddy's off until last. However, when she reviewed his files, she was in for a surprise. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child and with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and with good manners. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, His mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best. But his father doesn't show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if some steps aren't taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have many friends, and he sometimes sleeps in class. By now, Miss Thompson realized the problem, and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper, except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper that he got from grocery store bags, and Mrs. Thompson took pains to open it in the middle of the other presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing, and a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. But she stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was, putting it on and dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist and on her neck. Teddy Stoddard stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, today you smelled like my mom used to. After the children left, she cried for at least an hour. On that very day, she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Instead, she began to teach children. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class, and despite her lie that she would love them all the same, Teddy became one of her teacher's pets. A year later, she found a note under her door with Teddy telling her that she was still the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note from Teddy. He then wrote that he had finished high school, third in his class, and she was still the best teacher he had ever had in his life. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he'd stayed in school, had stuck to it, and would soon graduate from college. With the highest honors, he assured Mrs. Thompson that she was still the best and favorite teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Then four more years passed, and yet another letter came. This time he explained that after he got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little further. The letter explained that she was still the best and favorite teacher he ever had, but now his name was a little longer. The letter was signed, Theodore F. Stallard, M.D. The story does not end there. You see, there was yet another letter that spring. Teddy said he had met this girl and was going to be married. He explained that his father had died a couple of years ago and he was wondering if Miss Thompson might agree to sit at the wedding in the place that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Of course, Miss Thompson did, and guess what? She wore the bracelet, the one with several rhinestones missing. Moreover, she made sure she was wearing the perfume that Teddy remembered his mother wearing on their last Christmas together. They hugged each other, and whispered into, uh, Dr. Stollard whispered into Mrs. Thompson's ear, Thank you, Miss Thompson, for being, believing in me. Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I can make a difference. Miss Thompson... With tears in her eyes whispered back. She said, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one who taught me that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. Powerful story. Almost teared up in the first service when I read it. I have some disappointing news, though. The story isn't real. Mrs. Elizabeth Ballard wrote this story. She was a teacher. she was active in Sunday school classes, and, and she had heard a conversation between a Sunday school teacher fill in and, and the actual teacher about uh, a Christmas exchange where a rhinestone bracelet and some half-used half, uh, perfume was exchanged, and, and she didn't know how to handle that situation. In fact, Miss Ballard, when she was a young child, she was poor. And it was time to give the teacher a gift and her grandmother said, we've got shelled pecans. That would be a great gift. She took the hand-shelled pecans to her teacher and all the kids laughed. But her teacher said, I'm making a pecan pie tonight for my husband. These will be perfect. And her teacher made an impact in a difficult situation. Why do we need these stories to be true? Did you know there's actually been radio hosts who have declared that they have met Teddy Stollard? Teddy Stollard was actually a fabrication of Miss Ballard's married name and her maiden name, which I believe was Stuart. So she put the two together and she created Stollard. It was an article in Reader's Digest. But we need stories like this to be true. Turn on the news, and and you'll see very quickly that we live in a time period where everybody wants to applaud difficulty and overcoming that difficulty, but nobody really wants to participate in it. I often would have young men come into my office as an assistant principal, and I would ask them about their choices in a given situation. And they would say, but Mr. Fain, there's no way I can do that. That's too hard. That will never work out. You don't know, my classmates, you don't know how it really is when the teachers and the principal aren't looking. There's no way. So what do we do when it's so difficult that we can't stand it? What do we do when it's so difficult that we have a choice in front of us that we cannot imagine following through with because of the difficulty involved. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Have you ever thought about who's saying that? His name was Saul to start. Back when it was Saul, he was dragging Christians out into the streets to be imprisoned and to be executed. He was hunting them down like animals. Christians. The author of the New Testament, the the second half after the Gospels, most of it, written by this guy. And he's telling people, put into practice what you've seen in me. So he can't be talking about this former life as Saul. He's got to be talking about his life as Paul. Paul knew something about making hard decisions. He actually stood in agreement and watched as Stephen was stoned. And later on, he sees the light on the way to Damascus. Can you imagine the decision of I'm the killer of Christians to being the deliverer of the good news and the chief person to testify to his love and his grace? To go from hypocrite to super hypocrite? It's an interesting place to be. Philippians 1. By the way, Paul wrote Philippians. Now, I know there's argument over whether he did or when he read it and all that stuff, but let's just go with that for now. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice in Philippians 1, starting in verse 18. He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Here stands a man that's in a Roman prison. Now, I don't know about you, But when the preacher's preaching or the Sunday school teacher is teaching, I'm thinking about this pretty little stucco building and it might have some walls around it and, you know, some guards that are in that traditional VBS Roman garb, you know, and and they're kind of hanging out and talking to Paul and Paul's kind of talking to them and, and they're just having this good old time, right? More than likely, Paul was imprisoned in Rome They normally just went ahead and executed people in Rome, so they kind of had these holes in the ground. And in these holes, there was a little hatch, and you'd open the hatch, and you'd drop the prisoner down into it, and you'd close the hatch, and the guard was told, if the prisoner escapes, you're dead too. Not very pleasant surroundings. Oh, by the way, they didn't have motorized transportation, so the animals that carried people through the streets... You think those possibly drained down on top of Paul, all the waste, the waste from the households? You think Paul ever got sick in that hole in the ground? It wasn't a pretty place. It was a hard place. You think he got to wash his hands before he ate what meager meals he was handed? I don't think so. I think life was pretty darn, pretty, pretty bad down in that hole. So he has this choice, and and you know if, if you've ever gone through a difficult situation with somebody who's in a hard place, whether on the brink of passing away or maybe just, and we don't have that in America, we don't have people being tortured, but you can imagine that if he would just let go, if he would just quit eating the gruel that's been handed to him that barely keeps him alive, he could go on to rejoin his Savior through death. Then there's option two that he can hardly imagine, and he says to live on, I can continue this teaching. I can continue to proclaim the good news. And so he's convinced that he must carry on, that he will do this thing that he can't imagine doing, but in Christ he is able to do it. Miserable conditions, dark hole. He's in the prison because they haven't decided whether they're going to execute him or not yet. But you see, Paul took his cues from a higher place. He was able to see past his situation. Gospel of Matthew is where he took his cues. Now, I don't think he was reading Matthew, but he knew Jesus intimately, and he knew what happened in Matthew 26. It says in Matthew 26, 36, when Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me while I walk and keep watch. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so upset about a situation in your life you are overwhelmed to the point of death? He says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, make this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I remind you that the Son of God came to earth in the flesh. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send an advocate. God came in the flesh. Can you imagine that decision? And here he is on the doorstep of the cross asking the Father if it's possible that the cup be taken from him. And he asks again in verse 42, He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And so Saul, who became Paul, and is in this dark hole in the ground, chooses the hard road because he's seen his Savior do the same. Let's go back to Texas. It's August. Young man is sitting on a back porch in tears. He's got a decision to make. Did I mention that he's the youth minister at the church? Did I mention all the little ladies have gotten together at that little lady store and they bought all those things that pour out gravy and they're all packaged up in beautiful ribbons and bows and everybody's ooing and cooing and they're so excited that their little single youth minister is going to get married. And it's 30 days till he's supposed to get married. And he's got a decision to make. It's going to be a difficult one. In fact, when he sees those cows out in the pasture in front of him, he's a little jealous that they just get to stand there and chew cud and not deal with heavy life decisions. That guy was me. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Because, you see, there was no point to explaining why I wasn't going to be getting married. That wasn't fair. So here I am in front of the congregation on a Sunday. Uh, By the way, guys, in 30 days, I'm not getting married. Uh, Please tell the little lady that does the bows and the boxes that you need your money back. And um, that's about all I can say about that. And no, before you place judgment, it was not a case of the cold feet. It was the hard decision to make because it would have been very easy to follow through. That didn't work out that was hard actually and very embarrassing and it was a very difficult season of ministry after that but I met my wife when I was sitting on that back porch sweating and crying which is a mess talk about a hot mess that was a mess (laughs) I did not know that Ann Allison Williams existed Nor did I know she was on her way back from the mission field of Iraq, yes, during a war. She's as crazy as I am. She's actually in Egypt for a while and some other places, but yeah. And she challenges me every day to be a better man. She challenges me every day to live up to the calling. She challenges me every day to focus and to take advantage of hard situations that I cannot even imagine so when we make hard choices, I'm not promising the world, but I am promising that God is faithful. A verse that I live by every day is 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Don't know what it was, but it must have been important. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you, for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and in hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know what you're up against today. I don't know what dark hole you found yourself in that you can't imagine escaping, but when you think it's so difficult you can't imagine following through with it, it's the right decision. When you're having to ignore everything that could possibly be the easy way out that could that could be more pleasurable that could be more gratifying that could bring more money that could make me happier and you pick the hard road you're not the first and you're not the last and those who have gone before us are pretty amazing i would say the savior of the heavens and the earth is a pretty good place to start and then the guy who wrote half the new testament paul That's a pretty safe place to be. And as far as I can tell, things ended up pretty well for both of them. And I'm excited to join them again someday. And so as we end this time together and we end this story and we end this time in the scriptures, I want you to know that hard times are hard. But what a blessing it is when we see the other side. And there are no regrets when we see the other side. And that helps me sleep at night, and that helps me get up another morning, and God's grace is amazing. Maybe you have a need this morning. Maybe you have no idea who this Jesus guy that I've been talking about is. If you have a need in any way, um, the elders are going to be uh, kind of in the sides this morning, and and they'd be glad to visit with you. If that's not your format, if you'd like to visit with them in privacy afterwards, i think we kind of go out into the right and they're just kind of hanging around and ready to talk to you they're godly men who've picked the hard road and seen the other side and they love to walk it with you so you don't have to be alone if you would if you have a need in any way why don't you come as we stand and sing